So why don't we stand up? Let's worship God. Let's love him with everything in us. So let's worship him. You know, I'm just sitting here wondering what words could be spoken at this moment. And only one word just kept coming to my mind. Jesus. That's it. And so just for the next 30 seconds here, I want to invite everybody just to stand. And right now I want us to declare just the name of Jesus into our situation, into our stuff, into our problems. But if there's no problems, thank you, Jesus. Let's just declare his name for a minute. Jesus. Jesus. So I just speak the name of Jesus into every situation that's taking place in this room right now. Regardless of where you're at in in your journey, the name of Jesus can come in and shift and change all things. And so I speak the name of Jesus over your situation right now. Jesus, just come in. Jesus, just touch hearts. And Father God, we just lift your name up because you are a good God. And we say, Jesus, Jesus, you are good. Jesus, you are holy. Jesus, you are faithful. Jesus, you are everything. So we give you the glory in Jesus' name for all you've done and for all you're going to do. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Amen. A few weeks ago, I spoke here. I got talking about shifting out of toil and into grace. And so here is a physical reality. I I talked about how I failed the test a couple years ago, and I'm retaking the test now. So I've been chasing a contract for months. I've been doing all the things in the business world that they tell you to do. Keep banging on the door. Keep phoning them. Keep. I've tried leveraging. I've tried reminders. I've tried polite reminders. I've tried being a pain in the butt. I've, everything that they tell you to do didn't work. So I went out for lunch with, with Ben and Murray here a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about all this kind of stuff. And something Ben said just triggered in my heart. Bless them, release them. If they're not responding, then God's got something else in mind. And I was like, you know what? You're right. That's the end of that. So I made one last call saying, hey, my bait's no good. You're not coming up to grab it. I get it. Bless you. You know, you must have something else that you want to do. And I left it. It was a voicemail. It wasn't even a person. Well, a week of silence later, and I I legitimately let it go in my heart, I get a call out of nowhere. Hey, um... Really sorry we never got back to you, and I know it's been months. And Do you still want to do this job? Six-figure contract comes back when I let it go, and God takes over because you make room. And so, God, I just pray, help us. Help us shift our hearts towards you and away from our own stuff, our own way of doing things. In Jesus' name, you're good to meet us there. Amen. All right, so this morning we got a few people sharing with us. First of all, I'm going to invite up Gavin Howell here. Gavin, uh, you know, was in Israel for five weeks. He's been part of this church for many, many years, and uh, he's just got such a beautiful heart. And so I've asked him to share an extended testimony of just some of the things that God's doing in his heart and uh, what God did in Israel and stuff. So let's welcome him. Let's hear what he has to say. Good morning. So many do know me, but some don't. I'm Gavin Howell. Uh, I've been in this church uh, 10 years. As an occupation in this world, I am an arborist. So what I do is I deal with trees. Now, I prune trees, remove trees, do all sorts of things with that kind of uh, horticulture uh, realm, right? In December, late December, I ended up going to Israel, and I did a whole discipleship journey of Israel. And so what that was, it was a five-week, it was actually an eight-week journey 
deal. I just couldn't commit to the full eight weeks. And so I arrived with a group. I arrived three weeks later, and I was with them for five weeks. And so what does the arborist part have to do with it? Put it this way. I took all my gear. So I literally packed a suitcase of ropes, spurs, saddles, you know, handsaws, everything I could to climb trees there because they, they had some big trees that needed doing, right? About two weeks prior to leaving, a, a fellow comes to me and he says, hey, you know what? I want to bless Israel. What, what can I do? And I said, well, I'm going to try something. I'm going to take a chainsaw with me. He bought a brand new chainsaw. And so I'm like, oh, okay, so how am I going to get this into Israel? You know, most mature Christians smuggle Bibles into different lands, right? Well, I smuggled a chainsaw into Israel, and I mean it. Uh, So I'm literally, uh, I take this chainsaw, brand new. So I thought, okay, because this is a good move, because I got the receipt. It hasn't been used. I get to sort of, uh, you know, claim that innocence at least, right? And uh, so I I took it apart to make it not look like a chainsaw, so when it goes through the x-ray, it wouldn't actually look like a chainsaw. There's a a flight from Edmonton, then to Toronto, and then Toronto to Tel Aviv. So I literally, I'm in Toronto, and Melody, bless her heart, she's such a thorough researcher, she emails Transport Canada and says, like, are we allowed to take a chainsaw to Israel? Because it was the Christmas season, I left December 31st, she didn't get a reply right away because of that season, and so literally, I'm on a flight, and I land in Toronto, and an email comes to her, and it says in block letters from Transport Canada, no, you are not allowed to take a chainsaw into Israel. And she's literally thinking, well, should I send this? This will send Gavin into a panic. I've traveled with Chris uh, many times, many places elsewhere, and he knows what I'm like administratively. This would have sent me uh, past. And go from a country to Israel, there's two and three extra security measures that you have to go through. So even in Toronto, because you're getting on a flight to go to Tel Aviv, they've already instrumented a, another level of security to check just because of the, the persecution and all those things that happened with Israel. She did not send the email. And praise the Lord, she didn't because uh, I, I got through, and then I got through Tel Aviv, and, I, and, and literally, they take everything through x-ray and everything like this. And this is not a carry-on bag. This is a check bag, right? And I get through, and Mel sends the email, and it's this. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> Thank you that I didn't get that email in Toronto because I, I, I don't know what I would have done. But anyways, I got there. Uh, I got through uh, Tel Aviv, and then uh, I actually went straight north up into the Galilee. Jerusalem's about the midway point of Israel, and then as you go north of Galilee, is, uh, is sort of in the Golan Heights, they call it, and, and it's the Jordan region. Just beyond the Galilee, you go a little bit north, like I'm talking 20 miles north, and that's the Syrian border. Like, that's already there. So just to, to give you a perspective of uh, where I am, where I am in this uh, area is only 30 miles from the Syrian border. And we went up to the Syrian border, and you can hear the civil war going on. Like, it's just wild. You know, you hear the pop, pop, pop. And there's, there, you know, and every now and then you'd hear like a, almost like a cannon going off. And, and yet you're on the peaceful side of Israel. Oh, let me just explain what I was, who I was with there. I was with Return Ministries. And uh, Return Ministries, basically, they operate this 14-acre kind of plot that's an abandoned boarding school. And so there's just a massive renovation that's happening. 
And so there's trees, landscaping, buildings to be built and everything like that. And uh, Christians come from the nations and bless Israel. And so we know that out of Scripture, right? Abraham says, those who bless Israel will be blessed, and those who curse Israel will be cursed. You know, he says, I will bless the nations through Abraham. It's pretty cool. You get a, a collection of people from all over the world who don't know each other coming and just sweating and working and blessing. And so that's a, it's, you know, it's a servant part. It's, it's not a flip. Jesus said, I've come, and he made himself nothing. He made himself a servant and he was obedient, even obedient to death on a cross. And so there's a template from heaven given here on earth of how we are to operate, right? And so we literally take that literally <laughs> and do that. I never worked so hard because, man, these, these trees were 60 feet tall. And so I had to climb them, clean them, and everything like that. And, uh, you know, these trees haven't been touched in 30, 40 years. A lot tougher than something here, right? And, and you know, you got a bit of heat going on. Not, not too bad, like mid-20s kind of thing. But anyways, serving. And is, there was a whole different spirit of evangelism there. It wasn't like, it's not like here where you can just walk up and say, Hey, man, do you know the, do you know the Lord Jesus, the, our Savior? You know, he'll, he'll heal you. He'll save you. He'll, he'll redeem you. So we do carry that in our heart. But it's different in Israel. In fact, there is a great even suspicion amongst the Jewish people because persecution has come even under the banner of Jesus Christ uh, throughout the centuries, throughout the ages. And so through that servant portion where you just go and you're actually released from so many things, yet we end up working and there is... There's people renovating and landscaping and, and, and doing all these things. And right beside us is a kibbutz. Now, a kibbutz, this is how Israel is set up. Kibbutzes are sort of settlements. When, when the Jewish people came, they, they, they had to live together to survive. And, so, and some of them would come from nations that were communist, you know, Russia, Ukraine, Poland. And so they would know that sort of commune way. And so the, the kibbutz beside us, was like, what is going on? Like, how come these Christians are coming and rebuilding the ruins? <laughs> you know, it says in God's word, the foreigners will be your vine dressers. And so we, we're just working away. And then literally in Romans 11, what it says in Romans 11, it says, I blinded the eyes of my people that day, his people being the Israelites. I blinded the eyes of my people that day. Did they stumble as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their rejection of Jesus Christ, that's what they call a transgression, salvation has come to us. So because they rejected Jesus, he got crucified and salvation came to the Gentiles. And so salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. So here's our part as Gentiles, right? So here I am working, you know, not, you know, I'm not out there handing pamphlets out and, do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know, do you know, you know, you know, come to this meeting, come to that meeting. I'm actually serving, working, and the curiosity and the envy, the envious, and it actually says in other versions that to provoke jealousy. Yeah, no, not in a demonic way, like in a, I'm curious, what are you doing? Why are you here? And so that happened quite often. They would come and like literally, you know, I'd get down from a tree and it's their property. I forgot to mention that. that the, the, the boarding school was the kibbutz property. It's just Return Ministries was just operating on it. 
So they were free to reign in there and, and just walk in there and everything. And, and so when they would come and they'd go like, what are you doing? And we would just literally say, we come to bless your nation. We've come to uh, pray for Israel, to work, to rebuild the ruins, to renovate. And uh, so it was kind of a very interesting, different way of evangelizing. And actually, it was very powerful because we actually had to wait through the servanthood. We had to wait for the privilege to explain ourselves. So isn't that a beautiful sort of uh, uh, concept, I guess, of just in our lives, how we can and operate, you know? In Edmonton here, we've actually gotten involved with the Jewish society here. So there's about 3,500, 4,000 Orthodox Jewish people. And so we've seen this now through the last year and a half, two years. We've gone and just serve. We celebrate in their festivals and their feasts. And now we're starting to see the relationships coming. That the Jew and Gentile would be one. It's kind of wild. It's not an easy ministry. It's not just because, oh, you've got religious walls. You've got political walls. You've got economic walls. All sorts of things are going on. But by the grace of God... He's given us that revelation to go and operate in that manner. We're watching and being patient and serving, and yet he's going to give that spirit of him. And it says in, it says in Zechariah, Zechariah 12.10, They will look upon the one whom they pierced, and there will be great mourning and weeping in the land like the loss of a firstborn. That's Zechariah sort of prophesying that this will come. In other places in God's word, it says, and I will pour out my spirit upon the house of David. As Gentiles, we get to just operate in watching this happen. We get to actually, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on me, the one whom they pierced, and great mourning. Okay, so it'll continue on. Uh, Weeping, Jerusalem, as great as weeping, yeah. Okay, and so that actually, that's prophesied that that will come. Now, if we look through the lens of just looking through in a political way or an economic way, when you get to Israel, it's like, uh, this doesn't look like it's getting redeemed here. But when you look through the lens of Scripture, that's where faith is imparted. You start to see, okay, you know what? I, I can see, Lord, your spirit's going to be poured out on here. I can see that some will come, and, and it will spread across the nation here. When Israel became a nation again in 1948, there was like 300 believers in Jesus Christ in Israel. Today, there's between 15 and 20,000. And what they call those are Messianic Jewish congregations. Okay. And so that is happening in the land. You can see that the Lord is pouring out his spirit right there in the nation. And it's not easy because of all those walls, all those religious walls. You know, you got the Orthodox, the Hasidics, you know, you got the Arabs and Druze. And boy, you got, you got just, a, 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 just a lot of opposition. But, but what's happening is the evangelical Christians, they've actually declared they're the best friends of us Jews. Isn't that something? So there is a window open, a door open for us. And actually, we can see that. And, and, and even there was a, a, a testimony of these people, these uh, Messianic Jewish congregations, and going, you guys have no idea what's opening in the land here. 
The Spirit is moving. And he's coming in visions and dreams out of Joel, right? Uh, uh, out of the prophet Joel. Those are the sorts of things that are happening. So faithfully we walk in that. So it was a wonderful uh, uh, experience in, in seeing that. Now return ministries. What return means in that was God says in Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, 24. He says I'm calling. He's calling my people home. That's what God is saying. Literally from all over the world. The Jews are returning to Israel. And, and it's called Aliyah. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will remove you from your, from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And so Return Ministries literally is bringing the people home. And then when they come back into Israel, it's a foreign land, right, to them. They've been living in Russia, Ukraine, Poland, America. They come, they speak a new language. Hebrew is, is the uh, dominant language there. They literally house these immigrants that have come. So while we were there, they're, they're there. And so we're giving them clothes. We're helping them. We're helping them establish their lives back in Israel. And that's just one scripture. He says, I will, I will call them home. I've scattered them to the four corners, but I will call them home. And they will no longer be uprooted. And the trees will be planted and the vineyards would produce wine. And so while I was there, I was literally up in the Galilee. That's all you see. Like, literally, I'd be up 60 feet in a tree. And so I got this bird's eye view of orchards and vineyards and um, just product and harvest happening. Prophetic fulfillment happening i mean this is a land that's a desert this is a land that only the only source of water is the lake of it's it's not a sea it's a lake of galilee it's like the size wobman is way bigger (laughs) just to put it in way bigger wobman's way bigger like it's big enough but it's it's eight million people to supply water for these technologies of drip irrigation and recovering water and all these sorts of systems that the innovative Jewish people have are rebuilding the, the vineyards and, uh, and the orchards. Faithfully with my eyes, I can actually see, I can actually see the, uh, the scriptures getting fulfilled. While we were there, I mean, it's almond trees and citrus trees and dates and, and um, uh, uh, vegetables and oh, just... On and on. Israel recovers 90% of its wastewater. Do you know what the next country is? It's like Spain, and it's 20%. That's the level that God blesses them with that innovation. You know, he's blessed them with innovation through uh, cyber and, and like IT, medicine, and space technology, on and on and on. And their population is 0.01% of the world. And then they command, like, in these industries, like 20% of the world's portion, 30% of this world's portion. They're punching about two or 300 times above their weight class. <laughs> so we see that. We see what God is doing right now, right? Like even Jesus said in, in Matthew 23, 39, For I tell you, this is Jesus speaking now, For I tell you, you will not see me again. And he's speaking 
to the Sadducees, to the, the Pharisees of that day. And he says, you will not see me. You will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, man, it's got implications of the Lord returning. And in Romans 11, it says, and all Israel will be saved. When it says we are grafted in to that olive tree. And so, you know, I, I just encourage you to read Romans 11 because uh, we have been grafted into them. And it says the root doesn't need the branch. The branch needs the root. I'm an arborist. It doesn't really matter how good your branches are. It's the root. The root is the foundation, right? And so we're, we're grafted into that family of the Israelites, the patriarchs, the promises, the covenants that we would not forget where we came from. Part of our Western world, sometimes we've forgotten that. We've come over to this side. And not to forget what God is going to fulfill in that land, but to the nations, because we are grafted to that. So not to forget where we came from. And many would, would say, no, we're on two sides, forget it. We're, you know, I can't see any merging happening here. But faithfully, through God's word, I see that happening for Jew and Gentile to come together. Now he's still, be careful, because I've walked this line, to be careful not to make Israel an idol. So that I ignore everything else that's happening. Because he's still, God is still also calling us. You know, Isaiah 58, he says, to loose the chains, to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, to set the oppressed free. You know, we still are operating in all of that. But he says in Isaiah 62, he says, Isaiah 62, 7, he says, I've placed watchmen on the wall to pray day and night, night and day, and to give him no rest. God, and take no rest until he establishes Jerusalem as the praise of the earth. In my heart, he's placed me as a watchman, but I haven't forgotten everything uh, besides that. It's still to go and, you know, operate in, in feeding the hungry and, and, and helping brothers and sisters uh, around the land, right? That's what's, uh, that's what's happening. And I also want to just uh, say out of Matthew 16, 3, Today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. So we constantly hear, oh, get ready, the Lord is coming back. You know, can you feel the rumblings? Oh, yeah, we're, we're that generation. We're that generation. We are. But to see the signs of the times. And so when I've been in Israel, it's like there are enemies at every border. I mean, could you imagine living in a country where Egypt, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, they want to annihilate Israel. Iran, I'm talking mostly. They want to annihilate Israel. So we're seeing those signs. We're seeing, we're seeing those things. Another sign being the Messianic believers are, are coming up in the land to realize that there are things going on. And... Um, Iran has literally, today, I'm talking about current events, has literally is establishing itself in a war-torn Syria. So here's Iran coming down into Syria, which borders Israel and wants to establish, uh, you know, ballistic missiles and, and uh, um, uh, nuclear weapons because they have stated, we want to push Israel into the sea. So these are signs of our times. These are signs of things coming. Now, I don't want to scare you, but there should be an urgency within our hearts to pray for Israel first, because that's God's heart. You know, throughout scriptures, as we look, he says, and Israel is the apple of my eye. 
So if we walk through what God is speaking of, this isn't, this isn't, I'm not talking about political and economic things. We can look at that. I'm talking about looking through the lens of scriptures and God's heart for what is happening. That's kind of what's going on in Lebanon. And you've got all these radical groups who are just about death. They want to they, they hurt Israel. And why? This, this land mass is like, it's tiny. How, how big is Israel? Israel is like, I think from top to bottom, you could travel Israel in a car probably four hours. And that, that's the four or five hours, something like that. It's not very big. And here's the Arab nations. <laughs> they are massive countries. They are like, you know, you look at Syria, it's just a massive, like, you know, uh, um, square footage or whatever you call it. And, and Iran and Saudi Arabia, they are gigantic. And yet, they want to, you know, come against Israel. They want to annihilate them. It's the only democratic nation in the Middle East out of all these Arab nations. Today, we look at Donald Trump. He's literally stood against the winds of persecution of standing for Israel. I mean, it's, it's actually quite amazing that a Gentile nation like United States is actually standing. I mean, this is prophetic, that Jerusalem would become the praise of the earth. I'm not saying <laughs> Trump is a prophet, but God uses anyone to do these things. Literally, you know what he's doing? He's, he's actually dec- you know, bringing that embassy into Jerusalem, declaring Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, okay? and he's doing it this year. May 14th. You know what the significance of May 14th is? It's the 70 years ago Israel became a nation on May 14th, 1948. So here it is 70 years later. 70 years. That's how long the Israelites were in exile. When Jeremiah said they'll be in exile for 70 years to Babylon and they will come back. So there's a significant thing happening physically but in the spirit that is getting released out of heaven and donald trump (laughs) god's using donald trump to just mm, plunk that right there and and the un is so against this because god's word also says the nations will gather against jerusalem and so literally this whole vote and everything of uh of uh, jerusalem becoming the capital is uh um huge so, man, watch out what's going on here. I've literally, I came back and uh, spent five weeks here. I came back and, and the next day I established a prayer room in my house. Because this year, the 70th year, you know, seven is the, is the number of completion. There's something in the spirit that is happening this year to Israel, but then to the nations. That we would continue to be watchmen on the wall to pray for them to bless them, uh, to help them, and support them. And so that uh, we start to understand what God's heart is. So that we don't just, you know one thing it really does? It takes us away from ourselves. Isn't that, isn't that a beautiful thing when we intercede for something that is so far, in, far beyond our faith, and yet it, it, it's a beautiful thing because then it actually removes us from our own little problems and squirmishes and and little little things are going on because then we get to actually see and play a part in what god is doing so it's happening so thank you uh heavenly father lord jesus
We just say you are the Savior. You are the Redeemer, Lord. You seal us with the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, pour out your Spirit upon the house of David. Lord Jesus, pour out your Spirit upon this house, Lord. That, Lord, the countenance of your kingdom of heaven, Lord, would just so strike us and hold us, Lord, to, to get down on our knees, Lord, and pray for your heart, Lord. What is your heart in all this matter, Lord Jesus, for the redemption of the world? Lord Jesus, we, we say, Lord, in our hearts, we want to bless yes. Israel. We, wanna, we want to pray for Israel, Lord, that we would be watchmen yes. on the wall, marching, Lord, warning, Lord, all these things that watchmen do, Lord Jesus, that we would cry out and see your kingdom being fulfilled. And Lord, we want to see through your scriptures, through your truth. May truth lead us. May your spirit lead us, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yoshi, you know, he uh, pulls his phone out. And of course, he's got to find out how many times does Israel fit into Alberta? Well, we've come up with the answer. Anybody want to take a guess? Five, I've heard. How about 33 times? Yeah, there you go, right? So that just says a lot to you right there. That's amazing. 33 times, right? So we do want to remember to pray for Israel. Thank you, Gavin, for sharing. That was excellent. I did a great job. Let's invite Paul. He's got a short word he wants to bring to us, and I'm excited for this. So again, if you don't know, Paul is our youth pastor, but he's more than just our youth pastor. He's just a pastor here on staff who has a love for people, who has a love for community, and we're so blessed to have him in this house. He went to youth here as a young guy, and now he's leading our youth, so it's just such a beautiful thing. And I mean, this man works so hard. I mean, he's doing all the stuff with the youth, all these videos you're seeing. He puts a ton of hours into that, and he still works for Adler Insulation on top of that, and he runs a ton of jobs. So this guy is an amazing God. Let's not forget about him. Let's always pray for this guy. He needs our prayers, and let's welcome him as he shares with us. Awesome. So I'm going to be reading uh, in John 9. So as I was kind of getting ready for this, uh, there's God kind of put this story on my heart, and I feel like I'm going to read the whole thing, but there's this one part, one principle that I want to pull out uh, this morning. So John 9, verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? And this culture was just very religious, right? They were, everything was about right or wrong. And, and if, if there was something wrong with you, then it was because of something you did or it was because of something your parents did. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. And I just, I see like his disciples, like that concept probably just like blew their mind. Like, they grew up in a system where everything's right or wrong, everything's rules, and God says, hey, you know what? This man was born this way because I'm going to show right now all these people who I am. And so I believe that that, like, the, the emoji head explosion. We must quickly carry out the task God assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And now I'm not blind, but I know if I hear someone spitting, and then I feel something wet on my face, bad things are happening. He said, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? 
Some said he was, and others said, no, he just, likes, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same man. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud. He didn't say how he made the mud. And spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them, he put mud over my eyes, then I washed, and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, What's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. They asked him, Is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, We know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. And, and expelled, that's, that was a really, really, really big deal in this culture. That's why they said, he is old enough, ask him. So for the second, for, so for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man Jesus is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I see. But what did he do? They asked, how did they heal you? Because so often we get caught up on the how that we forget the outcome. So often we get caught up on how God's doing something that we forget about the result. Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, because at this point he's getting angry. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? And then he just throws the shot in. Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. And then the sarcasm started. Well, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner. Because when someone doesn't agree with you, we put up walls and we try to ram it down their throat. You were born a total sinner, they answered, because they didn't have the answer. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees were standing nearby, heard him, and asked, Are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But... You remain guilty because you claim you can see. And so the, the, the principle that, that God kind of put on my heart uh, this last week is, is back in verse 6. 
And it says, Then he spit on the ground, made mud from the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He washed and he could see. And here's what Jesus did is, is he took dirt and he took spit and he took water and he did something extraordinary. And the principle is this, is that in our lives, Jesus will always take ordinary and create extraordinary. Another way to say it is Jesus will take my ordinary and he'll use it to create his extraordinary. He will take your ordinary and he will use your ordinary to create his extraordinary. And that's the principle that I want to get out today. And I feel like this morning um, that there's some people in here that, that, that need to be reminded that those, those small decisions we're making every single day, even though it's 10 a.m. and you feel like you've changed 30 diapers, even though uh, last night your kids were making you angry and you didn't want to, uh, to, to, to read them their Bible story at night, you still made the decision to, to tuck them in. You made the decision to read their Bible story, and you're like, why am I doing this? I just want to go to bed. I want to hire a babysitter. And I feel like God's saying, you know what? You're not just tucking them into bed. You are creating a legacy of biblical faith in your child. You are telling your children that they're important, and you're not giving up on them. And he's using those moments to create legacy, and he's using those moments to create destiny in the generation that are coming later. I love epiphanies. I love those moments where it's like, okay, what's five plus three? I don't know. Right? Like, we all have those, those epiphany moments where that was simple, and I'm just making fun of myself, but you know the, you know the point, is, is we all have those moments where it's like, um, what's this problem that I can't solve? Right? You see this with kids is you try to teach them to tie their shoe. Right? And they're like, I, I can't do this. I can't tie my shoe. I can't tie my shoe. And then it clicks and a light bulb goes off. Or you're talking with a, uh, like, like a young adult or a teenager, and you're like, hey, you know what? Your purity matters. Hey, your purity matters. Hey, your purity matters. And um, eventually it clicks, and the epiphany goes off, and the light bulb goes off. And, and I love seeing those moments in my own life, and I love, uh, that's why I love working with teenagers, because when you see that moment, and you see the light bulb go off, then it's like, okay, so this is for a purpose, and this is for a reason. About, about seven years ago, uh, I had an epiphany that everybody in their life goes through, and, and, um, and, and yeah, it was probably about seven years ago, and I looked down, and I was like, where did that love handle come from? <laughs> right? Like, you can eat whatever you want when you're a teenager, and then there comes a point where you're like, okay, hold on. That's like a suitcase. I need to start taking care of myself. And, um, and, and when I had that epiphany, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm going to start jogging. And so uh, every day I woke up, and I was working out of town at the time, so it's a lot easier when you're working out of town. And, uh, and I was like, okay, I'm just going gonna, gonna to jog today. I'm going to jog today. I'm going to jog today. And eventually, over those small daily decisions, you can look back and you can see how far you've come. You can see the distance that you've traveled. And, and I think we live in an instant culture, so I think all of us would be in shape more if we went to the gym, did 20 sit-ups, and had a six-pack. Right? We, we live in this, this culture where it's like we want to we go to the gym, do 10 curls, um, and then have massive biceps, right? So all the guys in here 
want to do that. And then so they can stand in front of the mirror and be like, well, look how big I am. <laughs> right? I'm going to be real. All you guys do that. I know it's true. But it's in the daily decisions of our lives that uh, Pastor Chris talked about this last week. He talked about transformation and how um, there's moments where God will transform instantaneously. But there's also moments where transformation comes from taking the step, from taking the next step, from taking the next step, from taking the next step. And then when you're at the point, you can look back and you can see the transformation that God's done in you and done in people around you. And so I feel like this morning, um, my word is, is to encourage you. It's to remind you that there's that principle working every single day. That the small decisions we make are creating destiny. That the small decisions we're making are creating legacy. That the small decisions, as small as they seem, are creating impact on generations to come. And the principle works both ways, right? No one wakes up and says, I'm going to become an alcoholic. They wake up and they say, I'm going to have a drink. I'm going to have a drink. I'm going to have a drink. And then before you know it, there's a, 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 a mindset and a pattern built into families and generations that carries alcoholism down generational lines. And, um, and it works the other ways is it takes someone to step up and say, hey, you know what, um, sexual purity in my family is an issue and it stops with me. Hey, you know what? Alcoholism is an, is an issue in my family, and it stops with me. Hey, you know what? Pride is an issue in my family line, and it stops with me. And it, it, it takes waking up every single day and taking that small step in the right direction. So my hope this morning is not that we walk out of here feeling shame because, you know, there's areas of our life that we're all thinking about, like, well, I'm, I suck at that, or I'm messed up, or whatever it is. My hope is that we don't walk out of here feeling shame and condemnation. My hope, my hope, my hope is that we walk out of here and the Holy Spirit speaks to each and us, every single one of us today, to encourage and to inspire and to remind us that with the ordinary in our life, God can make extraordinary. To see that, you know what, changing diapers is, is terrible. Amen. Speak the truth. It's terrible. I have lots of nieces and nephews. It's terrible. But when you step back and are able to see the big picture of what you're depositing in your kids, that, hey, you know what, this is gross and disgusting and terrible, and there's poop everywhere, but I love you enough to get into the mess and clean it up, you're instilling, um, you're instilling life into them. And sometimes we may never, ever see the impact it has. Um, I had a, I, my mom was here a while ago, last time I spoke, and, and I had the honor of introducing her to a few people who I've got to impact in my life. And it was because, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, she chose to, to pursue God and to read her Bible, and then that impacted me. And I think a lot of the times, um, it's like with working out, when you don't see the momentum, sometimes it's a lot easier to give up. Sometimes it's a lot easier to quit and to... Um, to just stop and be like, well, why am I doing this? And I, and I feel like um, God wants to encourage all of us that it does matter. And so here's, here's the questions I kind of want to leave all of us off with today. What 
are the ordinary things in your life? What are the things that there are days where you want to give up? So maybe you're a parent with small kids and you're like, why? I don't want to change another diaper. Or maybe, you know, there's that family member that, that's running from God and God's saying, hey, you know what? Pray for them every day. Pray for them every day. I'm doing something in their heart, but you need to pray for them and you need to, to back them up in prayer in this season where they're at. And, and what are those things where God is saying, hey, you know what? There's a bigger picture in the ordinary. Just trust me and keep going. And the second question um, I kind of want to end off here with is, what, is the, what are the ordinary things that God is telling you to do? For some of us, it might be that neighbor that God's saying, hey, invite them into your home and just have a meal with them. Step out of your comfort zone and say, hey, you know what? Uh, I don't know you, but just come over for a meal. Uh, for others, it might be um, God's put like a teenager on your heart. And uh, here's, here's a fact that I found out this week. There are, there are drug dealers, not drug doers, drug dealers in our community who are 10 and 11 years old. And it comes back to they, they are lonely and they were looking for something. And as Christians and as, as people with the love of God, we get the honor and we have the right and the responsibility to reach out to those broken people. And, and so maybe God's put a teenager or, or a young adult on your heart and they're in a position where, you know what, hey, you know what, your dad's not there. Hey, you know what, your mom's abusive. Hey, you know what, your dad's an alcoholic. But, but I've encountered the love of God and I understand God as a father. And so, you know what, I know he's a perfect God and I know that you have to work through that stuff because uh, encountering God uh, as a father is really, really hard when you, you, you don't even know what a real father on earth looks like or you have those father issues, and you can't encounter God as a father, and well, that stuff's in the way, so you have to work through it. So you know what? I know that you're hurting and you're broken, um, but I'm going to step in the gap for you in that season while you walk through what you have to walk through, and I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to take that step towards you. I'm going to come pick you up and take you for coffee every week. I'm going to ask you the tough questions. When you're, you're doing drugs because you don't know who you are, I'm going to say, hey, that's not you. And I'm going to keep taking steps in your life because I know, I know that God has a plan for you. So that is the question that I have today is what is the ordinary that God is calling you to? Because with our ordinary, God can do his extraordinary. So I'm going to pray for you and myself because this is for me as well. God, I thank you for this body. I thank you for where you've brought us in the past and where you have us today and where you're taking us in the future. And God, I pray um, that you would just speak to each and every single one of us that's in this room and each and every single one of us that's not here and each and every single person that's, that's, that's watching online, God. And I just pray that you would begin to speak and you'd begin to re- reveal truths to each and every single one of us. And God, that we, we would have clarity and we would have your wisdom. And God, that um, the, the, the people that you have called us to reach out to, that you would give us the boldness to actually do it, God. That we would walk out and, and we would send that text or, or we would um, make that phone call or, or we would go home and say, you know what, I can't get a hold of them, but I'm going to pray. And God, just give us the wisdom and the clarity for that. So I bless my church family. I bless um, their week that you would just show up and show up and show up and show up in every interaction we have this week. 
So God, we love you. We bless you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.